there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, we will continue to celebrate the life and legacy of the late, great Georgetown head coach, John Thompson. A special guest who knew him well and covered his teams will be joining us. We're also ripping through the NBA playoffs and breaking things down. Shout out to the Nuggets. Uh, The King and I are ready to go. So Darlene, let's run it. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Monica is a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a three in transition and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. King is a former 3 and D Baylor baller whose idea of a good time is locking down the other team's best scorer. Monica, King, let's do this. Welcome into this edition of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Monica McNutt here. King McClure is here as well, my fantastic co-host. Um, it is in the intro. I am a Hoya. I am very proud of that. I'm rocking my gear today. This week, we lost an icon, visionary, a giant of the game, and a giant in life in Coach Thompson. And we're going to spend a significant part of this show discussing his leg- legacy with a current Washington Post reporter who was on the beat in the last nine years of Coach Thompson's coaching career um, at Georgetown, but of course also has the pulse of the area and all the good things that he's done in the DMV since he retired. Man, I just hope that when I pass away, my legacy can be half of what his was. Yeah. But, however, we can't forget about basketball and what's been going on. In the playoffs, they have been crazy. Let's start this off. Game seven of the playoffs, Jazz Nuggets. First and foremost, was it what you expected? A hundred percent. And I, in fact, tweeted, (laughs) I told y'all that this was going to be the best series. (laughs) I told everybody from the jump. I know we thought that Portland might pull off something magical or at least make it interesting for the Lakers. I get that. That was cute. I know we were excited about Luka putting up crazy numbers, historic, will be an MVP at some point in his career. But this was the series that I literally was salivating over because it's the future of the league. And it lived up to everything it was supposed to be and more in my mind. I mean, most definitely. I think um, when you watch the game, so here, here, here's my thought. I think Donovan had to work too hard in order to score. I, I, and I just based off of that, if Donovan wasn't getting 30 or 40, they really didn't have a second option. The Jazz, I mean, the Nuggets, on the other hand, they had Jamal Murray, who started off was the second option before this series because Jokic was the first option. Jamal was second. However, that might have flipped. Or maybe you can go 1A, 1B. I don't know. I mean, it just really just depends on how you want to look at this. Okay. So a couple things happened. Let's acknowledge that the Jazz are – well, let's flip it the other way and make it a positive. The Denver Nuggets are just the 12th team to come back from a 3-1 deficit, okay? So history, right? To me, this thing came down to coaching, in my opinion. Mm, I mean, so 
Yes, I, I'd agree. It came down to culture. Yes, when you right. think about it. And now, but, I think you made a very good point. I do think, particularly in game seven, Donovan had to exert so much energy slowing Jamal Murray down, which he did. Which he there did. There we go. Right? Yes. That, but even when we say that, though, King, you and I both ball. Under a minute to go, Donovan had the ball. Shout out to Gary Harris. It's a turnover. You were still right there. Here's what I'll say. Without Gary Harris, I do not think they win this. They win this series. Unsigned hero defensively. Gary sure. Harris, he couldn't make a shot. He could. He couldn't make a shot offense. He he was very rusty. That's expected to come back off injury. But his defense on Donovan, his defense in certain possessions was amazing. And yes, one thing that I I noticed, Donovan took that matchup so personal last night. He won, well, not last night because we're recording this on a Wednesday. So when the drops will be Thursday. So last Tuesday. night for us is Tuesday. But when the game played, he took that matchup 110% personal, did not want to walk out of there, was willing to do whatever he could do. And I think the thing that, that got me the most was when after the game, they showed him crying in the hallway. Mm-hmm. And I think that right there means a lot because his care factor is high, which means that he will end up being a great player. I guarantee you. He's probably in the gym. If he's not in the gym right now, he will be in the gym in the next two days. A lot of dudes, they take like a month off. I guarantee you he'll be in the gym, especially well, if you turn the ball over. So Donovan obviously is in a class of his own in terms of superstar, right? All-star, superstar, ascending in the league. But I also think that as a unit, and I don't have the contracts for the Jazz in front of me, but if they stay together, now there are rumors that he's not exactly happy about Utah. But if they stay together in general, this is the character building moment for that team. Yeah. So, I mean, I think lots of good can come out of this. But to your point about Jamal Murray emerging versus Joker, I think we saw Jamal Murray take that next step because playoff basketball requires tremendous guard play in a way that I think you can work with your big who plays multiple positions during the regular season differently. No, I mean, most definitely, most definitely. But – Let's keep it rolling. So, another Game 7 series, Rockets and the Thunder. Who would have guessed? Oh, not me. <laughs> not me. <laughs> Who would have guessed? Like, but here, here's what's most impressive. Most, most, most impressive to me. Chris Paul's leadership. I know you can talk a lot about this, and you can talk a lot about this off the court. But on the court, to get a bunch of young dudes to buy into you, play so hard, to the point to where you've taken one of the better teams in the West to seven games, and your team was they considered this year a rebuilding year. Chris Paul, in my book, win or lose this game seven, he gets all the credit. I, I agree with you, and I think the Thunder found a perfect storm <laughs> this year. <laughs> Listen to this though, okay? I just want to pull look. Dang, my phone is not cooperating with me. I think your point is spot on in terms of Chris Paul's leadership. But I think when you look at the guys on this roster, you got to give them their credit. They are young and hungry and willing to learn and be taught by perennial all-star, not perennial, consistent all-star, Wiley veteran. And I think Chris Paul also understands that he hasn't exactly reached the mountaintop in his NBA career personally. So essentially he's playing with house money. 
So you got a guy who's your veteran and Steve, another veteran in Steve Adams, who is consistent. You know what you're going to get from him. He's going to get on the boards. He's going to block some shots. He's going to mix it up. Shai Gildas Alexander, I think, is having a tremendous year and taking those big-time steps. Dennis Schroeder, if Chris Paul says, give me Dennis Schroeder versus anybody, can, yeah. can you get higher praise from a guy who is not an all-star? Yeah. So I think Billy Donovan, Chris Paul, that leadership, but I also think we cannot give those young guys enough credit because it could be easy for them to fall in the trap that we've heard J.J. Reddick talk about in terms of being more concerned with getting their fits off before the game and not focused on competing. But they leveled up, and they had a tremendous captain and on-court leader and coach and Chris Paul to help them do that. I honestly, ready for my high take, we'll find out when this podcast drops, would not be surprised if they take this game because they have the momentum. And the perfect storm element is the Rockets' formula. If the Rockets don't hit, the Rockets are in trouble. That That's fair. Um, here's a great question. If Chris Paul beats the Rockets, is he a Hall of Famer? Oh. In my mind, I feel like Chris Paul is a Hall of Famer already. I know that that's not – I know. And that's what I said in my mind. Hmm. I feel like it in my mind. I mean, he's going to be like the Charles Barkley Hall of Famer. I don't have Chris Paul numbers in front of me, but I'm willing to say that he's done some things that have not been done at a high clip in the NBA, even though he doesn't have the rings to show for it. it see, it's, it's just kind of crazy to me that a guy who has Chris Paul's leadership and his ability to make everybody around him play better is going to go down in a category – that you normally don't want to go into that category in the Charles Barkley, the Carmelo. Uh, like, like when you think of those dudes, you like, bro, they all bucket getters. But Chris Paul is not that. He makes everybody around him better. So it's just unfortunate that – no, we got to make – no, no, I, I refuse to put Chris Paul in that category. We got to put Chris Paul in his own category. Of, I mean, bro, he run out of time. Like he gonna be no, 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 no. You know, no you're right. He's in, he's he's in the he's in the category with them. But because he doesn't, he's not the same type of player, same caliber of player. He goes in his own. He starts his new way of players who were leaders and got his teammates better, but just never won the championship. Okay, because so Carmelo ain't getting nobody better. Hold on. So check this out. Check this out. And correct me if I'm wrong. I hope I don't embarrass myself with my basketball knowledge. But I'm pretty sure this is accurate because he's my fellow Hoyer. Allen Iverson is a Hall of Famer. Allen Iverson made it to the championship. He never won, though. But uh, he made it there. Chris Paul hadn't even made it to so Okay, so if he makes it in your mind. Yeah, I mean, but Allen Iverson, like, I, I'm not 100. I, don't quote me. But Allen Iverson's probably got – Five plus all stars. Does he have an MVP or no? He does have an MVP. I know that. He probably, no, he probably he probably has like ten. He probably has ten oh, all stars. Now right? we got a Bruce. Come and on. Now, now we got. Now we got. We got a fact check. We got. We got to check our facts right now. Yeah, let's check. Plus, I, plus, he won the scoring title like a gazillion years in a row too. He was like, you know, facts. let me see. <laughs> I got my book. I got my book. I'm gonna try and see if I can get you. Get you. What, is, what, what does what is Chris? I want to know what Chris Paul's resume is then too, though. All right, so Allen Iverson was an 11-time All-Star. Quick Wikipedia. He was an 11 All-NBA. All-NBA first team three times. Yeah, 11-time All-Star. Uh, All-Star game MVP in 01 and 05. MVP in 2001. Inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2016. That's the yeah. quick Wikipedia joint. 
that that that's a Hall of Fame resume. Okay, so let's try, let's see what Chris Paul got. Like, I'm curious to see what Chris Paul is building so far. <laughs> Chris Paul's numbers wouldn't compare to AI's numbers. But something I agree, right, on the scoring part. But there's got to be something in Chris Paul's body of work, no? Like, I'm not. Chris just- was always a great defensive player, right? Chris was, you know, he would he led the league in steals multiple times. Although that's not to me the definition of a great defender. Steals can be overrated, but he did. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. So quick in the first graph on Wikipedia, Chris Paul was Rookie of the Year. He's been an All-Star Game MVP. He has two Olympic gold medals. He's been to 10 All-Star Games, eight All-NBA teams, and nine All-Defensive teams. And a 1,000 State Farm commercials. That, too. <laughs> he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Like, I mean, AI obviously got the, the points titles, but in terms of bodies of work, they're, they're comparable. He, 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 he's a Hall of Famer. and. Um, I think his leadership was just super impressive. But speaking of leadership, let's go to the East real quick. Leadership is nothing. Talk about Kimball Walker. Oh, that leadership is there. Sorry. And 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 the Raptors are are, are the Raptors about to be extinct? <laughs> Love the dinosaur humor, King. Nice job. <laughs> hey, Monica, Monica said something about the Thunder, so I had to hit her with the Raptors. <laughs> Uh, shout out to Bruce, our producer is fantastic. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't watch game two of that series, but I did watch game one until I was like, what is going on? <laughs> I think game two to me is a more disappointing loss because I only got to see the first quarter. But prior to that game, Malika Andrews, friend of the show, reported that Nick Nurse talked about the first six. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, for anybody listening to this show, okay, we're going to move on. We're going to just move on. <laughs> Don't out me like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm about out king, but I'm not going to do that. Anyway, okay, so games, game, before game two, Nick Nurse said that it was about the first six minutes. And when I walked away from the first quarter, it was still a competitive game. But Bruce, your Celtics are just on another level. All I can say is, you can't stop Marcus Smart. You can't even contain him. He scored the first 16 points for Boston in the fourth quarter. Think about that. We're not talking about Jason Tatum. We're, not ta- right. we're talking about the defensive stopper coming out and going all Steph Curry on those guys. Toronto never recovered from that. Toronto, they've got a lot to recover from, period. They're down 0-2. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of looking like Toronto just doesn't have a – a go-to guy like they thought that they like they, they thought Siakam would turn into that but it's just looking like they, they don't have one I just want everybody also to remember two weeks back when King said he thought the Raptors would come out and represent the East this <clears throat> needs some water we need to check the record on that look we can all be wrong but here, here's my take here's my take unpopular opinion the team to come out the East will probably be the Heat I don't think that that's a hot take at all Okay, speaking of, let's get into this here on this pod with my lovely basketball friends. What did you think of the clip in which Giannis was asked, did you consider switching one to Jimmy Butler? And he said, basically, no. And why would you ask me that? Because it's been – did you see it, King? You didn't see it? I didn't see that. 
I'm gonna send it to you. But basically, in the virtual post game presser, did you see it, Bruce? I didn't, but keep going. All right. So in the virtual post game presser, a reporter asks Giannis, defensive player of the year, did you consider switching on to Jimmy Butler? And he's like, no, I do whatever I'm called to do, basically. And then he asked the reporter, why did you ask me that? The reporter, I don't know what the reporter responded, but the sports talk fodder, Jalen Rose, Richard Jefferson, Kendrick Perkins, have all been like, you're supposed to be the defensive player of the year. That's a good question. Your answer is supposed to be, we'll consider that in the next game, or yes, I take pride in being the defender, and I'm going to do that. Kendrick told a story of your Celtics, Bruce, when LeBron was going off, KG decided and went to the huddle and told Doc, don't worry about it. I got him. Y'all work around it. And that's what happened. King in the Utah and Denver series. We saw Donovan strap up Jamal. What's your take on Giannis not switching? Had I seen this video prior to this, he would have definitely been in the who's tripping segment. <laughs> 110%. Didn't realize he said that, but I agree. 100, 100% with Hoopers. You know how it is. Nobody, if, you, if a dude drops 30 or 40 on you and it's come down to the crunch time and you're supposed to be the team's best defender, that's the a no-brainer. The league's best defender. The league's best defender. Not even the team, the best defender. NBA Defensive Player of the Year. And you don't guard other teams' best player, you should be ashamed of yourself, Giannis. Then you, think, then you have the audacity to say, why would you ask me that? No, like, he didn't. A fair he question? didn't. He didn't like snap at the reporter, but he did. He was like, I'm gonna send y'all the clip, but he was like, Why would you ask me that? Like, it wasn't rude, but it was also kind of out of place. Because that's common sense. Like, come on now, bro. You know, I wonder if in Giannis's case, because he is such a coachable guy, I mean, he, he listens to the coaches, and Milwaukee's defensive scheme basically is pack the paint, make you make an opponent make threes to beat him. So maybe he was just so hardwired into that whole defensive philosophy that he thought it was maybe not a great question. And also, too, I mean, you know, I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but do sometimes do the overseas players sometimes defer maybe too much to a coach in a situation like that? I mean, I don't know. I actually think that's a very smart point, Bruce, because scheme does matter. And on Get Up on Wednesday morning, that was part of Jalen's argument in that if Giannis went and strapped up Jimmy, what does that do to the rest of their defensive scheme as a team and to Giannis's game? Like, there, he's, he talked about how when KG did it, he had other Hall of Famers and big-time guys flanking him on the roster that could pick up, pick up the slack on the offensive end, and that's not necessarily the case with the Bucks. See, I, I, I don't know if I can get with that because – Giannis is seven foot and he runs like a deer. Jimmy Butler is six six. So the fact that Giannis goes and guards Jimmy Butler, because of Giannis's athleticism and his length, he's not going to have to work as hard as a dude who is like my height, who's like six three, six four, and guard Jimmy Butler. Like I feel like he can guard Jimmy Butler. That's not gonna be easy, but it's not gonna be as hard. He's not gonna have to exert as much energy as a lot of other players in the league because he's seven foot. Like, Jimmy Butler can't just blow by him because Giannis is coming back and, and getting that out the glass. Every single jumper Jimmy Butler will take will be contested with a long arm in front of you. And, like, you're, and you're not going to stop these dudes. They're too good. But Giannis, if anybody gets slow him down, it's going to be Giannis. And I think that Jimmy have 40. If Jimmy has 25, 30, the Bucks win. So I think that, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, think, I definitely think that that 
that's what you're supposed to do. Like whether you're, you're, you're thinking about the scheme or anything as a competitor, I'm the best defender on the team. He's not scoring 40. Even if you stay in the scheme, but let me get to this side where I know he's going to be at. Like, let, let me pick up some of this slack. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So I know that the Raptors series is a little bit further along than the Bucks series, but which of those two teams are in more trouble to you, King, the Bucks or the Raptors? Right now, the Raptors, because um, they're down 2-0 and um, you're down 2-0. Because normally the first game, I think the first game was a fluke. I don't think they should have lost by that much. But the second game, for you to still lose and dudes like Marcus Smart are starting to gain confidence on you, you're in trouble. Mm, Bruce, what you got? Uh, I think I'd rather be in Milwaukee's position right now than mm-hmm. in Toronto's position. Uh, of course, when this show drops on Thursday – Milwaukee could be down 0-2 also. So, you know, we're kind of taping this before the game. Right, and that's not – I kind of want y'all to, to go with me there. Pretend both teams are down 0-2. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, I know that they're a little bit more further ahead in their series, but in terms of the matchups, in terms of the grittiness of the opponent, which one of those series the teams are in more trouble? The Bucks. I think so too, personally. Mm-hmm. Miami is as gritty My, – Miami's yeah. grit – factor is way up there right along with okc you know they're they are as gritty as they come yeah the bucks for sure for sure for sure it's going to be interesting listen if you're listening to this pod on thursday after the bucks are either now down o2 or have tied up the series you got to go with us it was a hypothetical just enjoy (laughs) (laughs) for sure but look there's two more matchups we don't know yet who are you looking forward to watching the most in the second round of the West? Okay. So the Lakers get the winner of Houston, Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. The Clippers get – wait a minute. I'm confused. Who do Clippers get? The Clippers get the Nuggets. We know now. The I mean, the Jazz. Nuggets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Correct. The Clippers get the Nuggets. Thinking, thinking, thinking. I think I'm more interested in the Clippers-Nuggets series. Most definitely. Because I really don't think – I think the Lakers, no matter who they get, that doesn't go more than six. And the Lakers win. Yeah, if they get sure. Houston, who on Houston can guard Anthony Davis? Nobody. 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 So no. My guy, Jeff Green, is going to get, get cooked. That. He's going to get killed. Listen, <laughs> he's not going to get killed. He's going to get beat, but he won't get killed. Killed. Baby food. <laughs> He's going to get destroyed. God. That man, Anthony Davis, is different. Ah, And 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 LeBron's bigger than anyone they got, too. So they got two guys that are bigger than all five on Houston. Now, but if the Rockets are shooting lights out, that's just such a giant if. I mean, they're just so – that's just a giant if to me. But the Lakers are so long, their length on the defensive end can really disrupt your shooting. And really make it tough for you to shoot those tough shots. And with Russell Westbrook in the game, I, I'm not even gonna get started on him because I am I'm I'm not a Russell Westbrook fan. We're, we're gonna save this conversation for another time. But with him in the game, I just don't see much going on, much happening. Cause I think his game is just absolutely um one speed. One speed with Kid, you got to teach him to change speeds, man. You got to, you know, you got to get him in the gym, teach Look, him about changing speeds. If he hasn't learned by now, he's not going to learn. <laughs> That's true. 
His game right. is atrocious. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but on the other side, Clippers Nuggets, to me, we're going to see if Jamal Murray is really, love, really ready to level up or not because he's going to be defended by two of the best defenders in the league. Nuggets are in serious trouble right here. Um, I think this game with PG playing the way he played at the end of the series, this game is probably going to go with six, maybe. May, probably five. I think that that first series took so much out the Nuggets. It's probably going to go five, at most six. They just don't have enough defense to to, to guard the, the Clippers. Yeah, that, that's not a hard argue. I felt for Jamal Murray when he reacted when Scott Van Pelt told him when the series started. He was like, oh, man, like, oh. You're right. That, I, that They are probably very much spent, and you've got a well-rested Clippers squad. Yeah, they're, they're dead. Plus, the claw can take anybody he needs to take on defense. He'll guard. He'll check anybody. It's hot for them. Yeah. He could probably check Jokic if he had to. And then just go get a bucket. Like, no big deal. It is now that point in the podcast where we invite our guest in. This gentleman, Swiss Army Knife for the Washington Post. <laughs> Gene, gosh, for how long have you been at the Post now? Uh, I, I'm dating myself here, Monica, but uh, since 1990. You? Oh. Really? Yes, <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, King, just a little bit of background on my personal industry connection with this gentleman. Uh, yes. He covered us. Georgetown women's basketball, among many of the things that he covered. When I was doing my thing at the Hilltop, I think at one point you may have had your eyeball on some of the things, some of the happenings on the high school sports side as well. I did, yes. So, known Gene for a long time. Thrilled to welcome you onto Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. Thank you for being with us, my friend. Uh, Monica, right. it's my pleasure. It's great seeing you. It's been a long, long time, but uh, good to be with you. <laughs> question for you, Gene. First yes, question, sir. jump into anything. I have yes. to Yes. Monica loved to talk about her basketball play. <laughs> you watched her. Yes, I did. So we can finally have somebody vouch. Uh, yes. For her and tell us the type of player that Monica was. Well, I, I tell you that the game I remember the most was when um, Georgetown came, went to College Park to play Maryland. You know this powerhouse, um, and uh, it was some of the most entertaining, most physical most defensive-minded basketball I've seen, and Monica was a huge, huge part of it. You could tell they all fed off of her, including Sugar Rogers, who's now in the WNBA. So, I mean, yeah, she, she whatever she says, it's true. Believe me, I've seen it with my own eyes. <laughs> I keep you on the people, my guy. Are you satisfied, King? I'm satisfied. I just needed somebody to vouch for you, because I don't know if I believed it. Well, I'm glad that you can trust a wily veteran reporter like Gene Wang. But on that note, in that it's funny that you bring up the game against Maryland, Gene, because I invited you on the pod this week because Coach Thompson passed away earlier this week, Sunday night, at the age of 78. He obviously was a pillar in college basketball, particularly, obviously, at Georgetown. Mm -hmm. It's another layer when you start talking about what he did in terms of creating opportunities for black coaches and looking out for black athletes, and we're going to get into all of that. But it's funny you mentioned that game because he was at that game. And he came right. in the locker room post-game and told us how proud he was of us. I'm sure he used one of his two languages, which was English and French. <laughs> yeah. thrilled for us. Um, King and I both had an opportunity to read your piece in the post about Big John that you worked on with, with Cindy Bourne. But where do you even start when you start to think of the legacy of John Thompson? Yeah, you, you, uh, the first thing that comes to mind, and he actually bristled uh, sometimes when talking about this, was 
being the first African-American coach to win a national championship. And the reason he would bristle because it would make him angry to think about all the other coaches, African-American coaches that came before him that did not get that opportunity to, to coach a program like Georgetown and, and develop a program and win a national championship. So he really felt like the, the weight of all that responsibility on his shoulders. Um, and, you know, when he won that national championship, it really um, it didn't validate it for him. It just elevated his profile so that he could actually speak on a lot of things with, with re and resonate when he spoke. Not that he didn't before, but when you have a national championship in your pocket, um, it adds another layer. Um, and so that really put him and Georgetown on the national on a national stage, you know, and gave him a platform to speak on social issues and racist policies he thought were pervasive in the, in, in the NCAA, which they were. And, you know, he was doing this well before this time right now of Black Lives Matter and this movement that we're in now. I mean, John Thompson was doing this decades ago. And that's the kind of the main thing I got from speaking to so many legendary coaches, I will tell you, who said that he was such, a, a, he was an uncom uncompromising advocate for social justice who was well ahead of his time. And that's what I wrote. And um, from Coach K to Roy Williams to, I mean, some of the biggest names in the game. That's kind of where um, they are with John Thompson and why his voice will be missed, especially during this time. Mm -hmm. You know, reading your article, um, the thing, one of the, one of the quotes that stuck out to me the most was when Jim Beheim said, uh, we needed John Thompson right now. Exactly. What do you think his impact would be right now as far as college basketball and social injustice? Yeah. I mean, I, I know that he would be um, extremely proud of, of seeing what's going on in the NBA and, and some players taking stands and, and not having him having been the only person at the time who basically stood by himself. Because you remember back during that period, it was him, John, J John Chaney and Nolan Richardson, who were the African-American coaches who were, you know, using their platform for a greater good. Um, other coaches weren't necessarily doing that, even though they may have been thinking that. We're talking to white coaches. And they admitted that. They said, you know, John stood by himself, basically. Um, that's how much courage the man showed. So, um, but to see now how, how pervasive it is throughout the NBA and so many other sports, um, I, I'm sure John will be proud. I did speak to John Thompson III um, about a month, maybe a little more than a month ago during um, a march um, after the George Floyd killing in D.C. And he said that his father would also say, though, that not much has really changed. I mean, he's seen athletes. We see athletes speak out more. I think that's a great thing. But in terms of policy and the systemic racism, I mean, there's still so, so far to go. Um, just too bad John isn't here because I think he, his voice, I think that's a big thing, would have, would have um, meant so much, lent so much to the movement. But, you know, players have from Michael Jordan to LeBron James to, I mean, you name it, have all said that, you know, what the foundation he laid is the springboard that continues to help push that movement along. Yeah. Yeah. I, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's humbling to hear JT3, obviously his son say that his dad would say that not much has changed because that's what the numbers bear out. I mean, that's why we had the historic stop and play last week across leagues. Um, yeah. Man, that, wow, that was tough. All right, I don't want this to be super sad, Gene, because I know yeah. you're on the ground. If you're yes. at the post in 90, then you're around to see Allen Iverson. Oh, yeah. Six in that era under Big John. I think for me, I just knew of the lore of this man. But by the time I got to the Hilltop, 
he had softened just a bit, but no, I, I wouldn't say that he was soft. <laughs> right. I think one of my favorite stories is him telling Rayful Edmonds, who was the known drug, drug kingpin, yep. Drug kingpin in the DC area, calling him to his office in McDonough and telling him to stay away from his guys, in particular Alonzo Mourning. And that was sort of kind of all in that Iverson era. What do you remember most about John Thompson, the coach in that era? I remember, I'll tell you what, Monica, I was, I covered Allen Iverson's first summer league game at McDonough, and it was crazy. I mean, that place was packed. You've never seen it more packed for anything. Not a bat, regular season basketball game, not a, anything to, for guys to see. And these are like former players, current players. I mean, it's a who's who of Georgetown basketball. We're all there to watch Allen Iverson because you knew the buzz around that. And um, that was four years after I graduated. And man, it was just electric in that place. And I had never seen Allen play in person. Um, I mean, he was as advertised, obviously. And, and then kind of to, to move, push that forward to Allen Iverson's Hall of Fame induction speech, him saying to John, thank you for saving my life. I mean, that's kind of, that, that kind of bookends what the John Thompson's the man is. I mean, he welcomed Allen Iverson into his program when all the other big name schools were had stopped recruiting him because of we know that bowling alley brawl, which by the way, the convictions were overturned while Allen was playing, excuse me, while Allen was playing at, at Georgetown. So that shows you how much, you know, trust John put in Allen and, and his family has just been so grateful to him. And obviously Allen really, really did save his life because what would have happened to Allen had he not been able to go to Georgetown and learn under John Thompson? I mean, who knows, right? right. So uh, that's kind of the, the, what I remember most about, about that era. Um, and, you know, I, I grew up watching the Hoyas with Patrick Ewing and Alonzo. Dikembe was my year at Georgetown. I remember the big men, but when John was able to get Allen to come to Georgetown, that guy? also kind of changed the program because he got a great guard, an incredible guard to come and play at his program. So it wasn't just big man you from there on. He got one of the greatest guards in the history of the game to come to Georgetown. So you're a well, – uh, King, I promise I'm going to get you in here, but we about to die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> Gene, you've been around this area, whether you were consuming ball before you got into the profession or you were reporting on it. So you know how much pride the DMV takes in its hoops. Yes. Whether it was Big John coming to St. Anthony's, leading those high school programs, or coming to Georgetown. He meant – so much more, though, to our area, because he was this larger-than-life Black man who did not mince words, but he also was the face of, like, I would almost argue that John Thompson is a huge piece of the puzzle in terms of why this area is known for the quality of basketball that it's known for, even to this day. Yeah, there's, there's no question about it. I mean, you, I think when you think of basketball in the D.C. area, I mean, just certainly in my lifetime, it, it starts with John Thompson. It really does. I mean, you know, the, the thing that's telling about his program and what he did at Georgetown is it's, it's, I won't say it's easy, but it's easier if you go to Kentucky or you go to North Carolina, UCLA, whatever, what, Kansas, one of the blue bloods to build the program. John came to Georgetown when there was nothing there. It was a bad situation. It was not a good job. That's a direct quote from Gary Williams, who um, another Hall of Fame basketball coach who knows John very well, coaches against him in the Big East. It was not a good situation. Yet he wanted to take it on because D.C., um, predominantly African-American city, um, he wanted to take that on in Washington. Um, and he had this vision um, and the courage to, to pursue it. 
Um, he recruited African-American players that other schools thought weren't smart, smart enough to get in or play basketball. Clearly, that was inaccurate because his 97% graduation from Georgetown, one of the best academic institutions in the country, bears that out. Um, to me, that all is part of the legacy of John and that he, you know, he didn't do it at a huge program. He did it at a school in Washington, D.C., his hometown, the way he wanted to do it with African-American players. Mm. You know, we, we talk, keep talking about his legacy. And, um, you know, right now they have another famous African-American coach, Patrick Ewing. Certainly. Do you see any simula similarities between the way John Thompson coached and the way Patrick Ewing coached, coaches? Uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, Patrick will tell you that. I mean, so much of what he has learned as a coach um, when he was an assistant in the NBA for, for years and years was from John. Obviously, number one defense. Um, so that's what a John Thompson team is going to be a trademark. It's the trademark of Patrick Ewing's teams at Georgetown. Obviously, when JT3 was there, same, same, the same thing. But, um, you know, we talk about defenses nowadays. We look at Virginia. I mean, obviously, how great their defense was. Or Virginia Tech. I mean, excuse me, Virginia, VCU, that Havoc defense when Shaka was there. You can – Michigan State. I mean, some of the other great defenses in this country. But um, a lot of the coaches I talked to, including Tom Izzo at Michigan State, said that, they modeled their game, their defense after John Thompson. And I think if you look at the way Patrick Ewing's teams play, that's, that's certainly the case. I mean, yeah, you want to get buckets for sure. But the number one priority is stopping the other team from getting buckets. Um, and sure, and Patrick's also, you know, his number one if – you, if you think of any Georgetown player, Patrick Ewing probably is going to come to mind first. Maybe Allen Iverson, it's close. Um, but, you know, Patrick – obviously had an incredible NBA career. If it weren't for Michael Jordan, who knows? He might have had a couple NBA rings. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, Patrick, if you watch how they play defense, it is certainly in line with the way he played defense playing for John Thompson. Uh, for sure. So in the D.C. area, you know, I'm from down south, so I don't know much about D.C. So <laughs> okay, okay. If, if I'm wrong, correct me. In, in yeah. the D.C. area, Howard, Howard University. Yeah. You know, they had their first five-star recruit, correct? Yes. So, correct. would you attribute five stars going to HBCUs, especially in D.C. area, would you attribute that to John Thompson and his legacy? Oh, absolutely funny. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because, remember, uh, Michael Jackson, the point guard on the championship team in 84, said that, you know, he, he was – when he told some of his friends that he was going to Georgetown – they had not heard about it. They just assumed it was, it was a historically black a college university because, you know, they had looked at the roster and saw all African-American players. Yeah. And it wasn't. And that was kind of like, – that's what I was saying earlier about how John wanted to construct a team. He wanted to do it his way at a school that wasn't tradition, that had, was traditionally not um, – did not have that basketball makeup composition on the roster. And certainly the student body at the time was predominantly white. You know, and so the fact that he was able to, you know, bring those two groups together and to have the support of the school and the student body behind him and to create such an incredible vibe throughout the 80s and early 90s on the campus of Georgetown. I mean, that was unifying. It really was. It was I can tell you, having been on the campus at that time, my parents taught at Georgetown. So I went to see so many games. I mean, you saw all races, you know, cheering that team on black, white, you know, Latino. Asian, it didn't matter, you know, what John did brought that community together. Um, we're gonna get our producer in here with a new, a new in question for you, Gene, because you're such a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> I, before, before we jump into Dr. Bruce though, 
Um, when you Coach Thompson retired in 99, right? But he yeah. still, his shadow loomed large, whether folks agreed or disagreed with that. Yes. When you think of post-career, John, post-coaching career, I should say, what yes. comes to mind for you from Boots on the Ground reporting on all of it? Well, it's, it's funny because the industry I'm in that we're in, the media industry, it was sort of adversarial, let's put it, let's put it that way, when I was covering him, when a lot of my cogs were covering John, and that's kind of how he wanted it. He didn't want his, you know, he wanted, he had secrets, sir. You understand that. And that was where that term Hoya Paranoia came from, you know, wanted to lock the media out, make things difficult for us. And I would just say on a small personal note, he made me a better reporter because of that, because he made me have to work harder to get the story, to ask smart questions. If you could ask smart questions to John, he would answer you smartly. If you asked a stupid question, he would call you out on it. And that's how it should be. Mm -hmm. um, so he made me a better reporter. Um, but what comes to mind is post-coaching -career, post career was him being in the media and being on the radio. You know, it was great to hear him talk about his experiences because, I mean, I could sit with him for hours and hours and hours to listen to his stories about being with the Celtics and, you know, you know, being recruited by Luke Karnaseka, one of his, who ended up being one of his coaching rivals at St. John's. So many incredible stories about basketball and not just basketball, but life in general. And the, the two coaches from what I heard from their peers who, who talked to the players not about basketball, but who were basketball icons, Dean Smith and John Thompson. And it's no, it's no coincidence that they were best friends. They were probably outside of maybe Jim Beheim and Luke Harnasek, outside of Big East coaches, Dean and John had the closest relationship. Um, you know, I, I wrote this in my story. Some of the most iconic pictures in college basketball were of Dean and John embracing. Like after John lost, after they lost the Fred Brown game, the Michael Jordan game, you know, they hugged they, and they were big best friends throughout their lives. And John showed up a couple hours early at Dean's funeral and sat there by himself to reflect on how much he meant in his life. So another way John showed how much he cared about other people and the impact that he had on other people, not just his players. Gene, during the Patrick Ewing era, um, Patrick faced a lot of racist BS. I mean, certainly in high school, I, I went to Brockton High, Cambridge okay. Ringe and Latin was in our same league, although I was a few years older than Patrick. But mm -hmm. I mean, Cambridge Ringe, they'd get their tires slashed at high school games, their team bus. And so I think, you know, John really felt like as dominant and fierce as Patrick was on the court, inside, he really kind of needed somebody to kind of be his protector and John took a lot of heat for that. They said, oh, he's sheltering from the media, this, that, and the other. But John was guided by his own moral compass on this, wasn't he? And he never really particularly cared what people thought about him. No, and, and that's, that's what made John John, because, you know, he wanted to do things his way. He had a, a vision, like I said, for the program and uh, the kind of player he wanted. And, yeah, I mean, people don't realize, people of a younger generation, I should say, just don't realize how much garbage – Patrick had to put up with how much garbage John and the program had to put up with um, at, at some notable schools, you know, and, you know, people would throw bananas onto the court. They would hold up signs that said, Patrick can't read. I mean, some just, you know, reprehensible behavior, you know, to put it mildly um, at the time. And they, they took it, you know, and they just beat you to death on the basketball court. And one game after game, big East Conference title after conference title, that was their answer to you. That was their middle finger to you saying, you can say whatever the hell you want to say. We're going to beat you down and win basketball games. 
and show that we are the better institution, the better coach, the better players for it. Um, yeah, and that was all part of John and sh showing how he, he didn't care what people thought. He was going to do it his way, and he did it with, obviously, a, hum a great deal of success and impact, not just on the basketball court, but in people's lives um, on a social level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's Bruce. Oh, okay. Bruce didn't have follow up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think, and I have said, as I mosey about ideas in terms of how I might want to memorialize him from our perspective, but I have said, if I have never met someone who achieved such iconic levels of success, but truly understood and lived that basketball was just a vehicle, right? And I think. Like, as people are reading about him in the various memoirs, obviously yours was great, Gene, and Kevin Blackstone wrote one in the book that I thought was tremendous. Shapiro sharing stories of yes. how he helped coach Patrick Ewing up for the media because of John. Um, John Crush Thompson also had a whole master's degree in counseling. Right? <laughs> I think people forget that basketball really was just the vehicle for him. Like he cared about his players and their success beyond just the game. And for me sitting on the other side, after he retired, obviously, I mean, I'm on campus 20, 2007, 2011, but he sat in that big wooden chair in McDonough at our practices. I doubt that he was as vocal as he was with the guys, but he was there to support us. Um, he was always available. He knew that I wanted to get into the media and supported me through that. Um, but he was interested in us as people. And you mentioned my good teammate, Sugar Rogers. Let me tell you, Gene. Sugar is now working on her second degree and wants to go and <laughs> When she got to the hilltop and I was tasked with dealing with her, I believed that hell had frozen over if she was going back to school. But right. Coach Thompson was, had his hand on her and was mm -hmm. part of her growth and her success. Um, I just want people to know that in a way, especially on the women's basketball front, he was Kobe before Kobe made the orange hoodie cool. Because yeah. he cared about us, the game that we played, because we love basketball, but also just as us as young women. He, you know, one of his famous lines is, and a lot of people who are, uh, have been on the hilltop know this, don't let eight pounds of air determine your life. Basically what he's saying is don't let that basketball be determine who you are. There's so much more to life. There's so much more you can do. And his players certainly – yeah, he had a ton of NBA players. There's no question about it. But what some of those players have gone and do after they're done in the NBA, look at Dikembe Mutombo. Look at all the humanitarian work he's done. He's a perfect example, you know. Um, Michael Jackson went on to the Kennedy School of Government you know, uh, at Harvard. I mean, there's player after player um, ha have done things off the court that he kind of embodied what John taught them. Um, using basketball as kind of a, a vehicle for that, but, you know, not as the, the, the thing that's going to define you for your whole life. And that's kind of, I, I'm sure in all the, when he's memorialized, that's what people are going to say. I mean, they'll talk about all his wins, the championships, the final fours, but they will talk about mostly what it means to them um, how he affected them socially, um, emotionally, philosophically, spiritually, all that, things that are not related to basketball. Um, he saved boys' clubs and girls' clubs in D.C., you know, from going under. I mean, there's, there's all that stuff that is not really – we don't talk about uh, at the top, you know, but that he did kind of in the background. Yeah, I mean, the background stuff – for to me includes you know my head coach who was a black female head coach on the women's side but the sure. numbers are still very rare i mean he was supportive of terry and since then georgetown has a record of black coaches that is unfamiliar in terms of d1 institutions so there's so much that he did
behind the scenes. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I, let me just, yeah, as, as kind of picking back off that, he, when he was coaching, he would, one of his big, big things was trying to get more black coach, uh, sorry, not black referees in the Big East, because he thought there was a dearth of African-American referees, which there were. And also he wanted to have more African-American assistants with the hope that they would go on to be head coaches at major programs. So, I mean, his impact was there too, um, to get more African-Americans involved, not just playing, but in coaching and in officiating. Yeah, he was a tremendous visionary for sure. I hate COVID that much more because I don't know what his memorial service will look like. Um, But if not for this climate, I'm sure we would have packed out probably Capital One in this area to come and celebrate his legacy. but I'm, I'm super thrilled that you found some time to join us, Jane. My pleasure, Monica. For you, let me know. I'm there for you. <laughs> I, King, that's what I need from you. That kind of reverence and appreciation. Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jane, continue to keep up the fantastic work. Folks, definitely got to check you out in the Washington Post, which has been your home for quite some time now. Uh, like, yes, it has. Jane, you're a uniform, unicorn in our industry. Have you been I, here? No layoffs? No issues? I know, you know what? Yeah, I, just don't jinx me, Monica. Please. I, I'm just trying to hang on for dear life. But people also can follow me on Twitter at Gene underscore Wong, G-E-N-E underscore W-A-N-G if they want as well. You are fantastic, my friend. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was dope. All right, it's time for a signature segment in the show. We are looking for a sponsor, uh, maybe a gas company. That would be cool. Or like, I'm going off on a rabbit hole here. Or like Wawa, that would be fun. Anyway, it's time for Who's Trippin'? This is King's favorite segment, so I'm going to lay out and let you shine, my guy. Who's Trippin' this week? I'm going to have to take it to my man. I'm not even going to say my man. I'm going to have to take it to Donald J. Trump. Yes, he probably trips a lot, but in this particular instance, he definitely tripped out. He tweeted. On September the 1st at 8.52 a.m., people are tired of watching the highly political at NBA. Basketball ratings are way down, way capitalized, and they won't be coming back. I hope football and baseball are watching and learning because the same thing will be happening to them. Stand tall for our country and our flag. And (laughs) tell them how you feel, King. So. Highly political is the way he described the NBA. Here's how I view this. How is it political when they are taking a stand for what is right? They're seeing the injustices that are going on in our society and standing up for the wrong that is being done to African-Americans. So for you to describe that as highly political is partially offensive because it's not politics. It's basic human rights. (laughs) We're not arguing whether, you know, the the healthcare should be um, higher, lower, African-Americans should get healthcare. We're we're saying black lives matter. That's all they're saying. And matter, we're not saying black lives are even equal to. Think about this. We're not saying black lives are equal or black lives are more than. We're saying black lives matter. Like just like, Embrace our existence. That's all we're saying. Black lives matter. If you just sit here and say it's highly political because they don't want to play, 
because they see the injustices. You see what's going on. You see the videos. And for you not, for you to basically not even just, you know, say, oh, I respect what you did. No, no, it's stand tall for our country and our flag. Standing tall is what the NBA players are doing right now. What, what, what he's talking about is, is being weak and not standing tall, but dishonoring your country because you're basically condoning racism and condoning injustices and condoning the wrongs that are happening. So Donald J. Trump, you are tripping. I'm going to follow this up with these brief comments. First of all, I encourage everyone to read Dan Lebitard this week uh, on Sunday or Saturday for ESPN. The article from Michael Jordan to LeBron James, how the NBA became a powerful political organization. Great read, Lebitard is spot on. I also am not surprised by the tweet coming from the White House because it is on brand with someone who obviously sees a different value in black and white lives. It is ironic to me that he would tell other leagues to be mindful. That's the part to me that was most curious because the NBA has made it clear that they're not paying him any attention. The NFL, on the other hand, has more owners who are known to be supporters of his campaigns while it is still a league dominated by the talent of black athletes. I am very curious to see how other leagues respond because his dismissiveness of what the NBA is pushing to the forefront in terms of the problems in our country is honestly sad. It is vile, but it is completely on brand for someone who is a white supremacist. So there's that. I'm going to leave it alone. It, it is sad. I mean, it's, it's almost like you see where he stands and what he stands for. And I think that's, you know, people ask all the time, you know, like, why, why, do, why do black people not like Donald Trump? Like, let's just be real here. And, and it's, it's things like this that is the reason like it's not even it's something i can explain anymore it's just bro like just look at some of the things he says his dismissiveness to this shows us where he stands point blank period there's no other way you can look at it and that is why for those wondering that is why mm -hmm. all right let's go time to stick the landing okay people Time to wrap this up. Thanks to Gene Wong of the Washington Post for sharing memories of John Thompson. Thanks also to our producer, the GOAT, Bruce Bernstein, and to our excellent editor, Tom Phillip. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. This week, the Mike Wise Show features Monica and myself discussing basketball and activism. Really good show. Please go check that out. Full Court Press with Fanon and Adams has two great guests discussing Big John. P.J. Carlissimo, who coached against John Thompson for 12 years, and Kevin Kugler, coach's broadcast partner on the radio. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong has Eric name of The Athletic, talking Milwaukee Bucks, who are about to lose. B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman are back on with the Pure Hoops podcast, which, dro which drops every Friday. And Monica and myself are back next Thursday with another episode of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks.
People, I know I sound like a broken record, but get over it. Do not let your guard down when it comes to COVID-19. Wear that mask and protect yourselves and others. I be saying some of y'all are traveling. I get it, but you still need to do everything you got to do with a mask on. And observe social distancing. Wash your hands. Clean under your nails, too. It's uh, absolutely gross up under your nails. Please treat everyone around you like a teammate and friend, even if you don't know them. Just common decency and respect for all. As always, keep our healthcare workers in your thoughts and prayers, and let's keep working and striving towards social justice in our society with our friends that look like us, that don't look like us, that pray like us, all of that. We all are working toward a more inclusive society where, res where respect is fundamental. If you like buckets, boards, and blocks, please subscribe, it's free. Listen to us, give us a five-star rating, it would mean a ton. So, for my co-host, King McClure, I'm Monica McNutt. We'll see you next week. But until we meet again, enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.